Welcome inside Appalachia. I'm Jessica Lilly. What happens when strangers with cameras go to Appalachia? Who gets to tell our story? Photography in Appalachia has a long and complicated history. In today's show, we'll hear the story of a filmmaker who was shot back in 1967 when he went to film a community in eastern Kentucky. She said, I, the reason it made me mad was because I thought they was taking them pictures to make us look bad in this area. And we talk with Sabrina Schrader, who grew up in McDowell County. She knows what it's like to be embarrassed by the images of herself selected by the media. I was on put on the news, and they had me crying. And they had said some things that I didn't tell them on the uh, news episode. And I felt completely humiliated, and uh, it was my first time speaking in public in the news and I'd been taught not to do that I was told that they would make me look bad never tell anyone that you're poor they'll make fun of you we'll hear from artists and Appalachian citizens and people who are both here today on Inside Appalachia Welcome Inside Appalachia I'm Jessica Lilly Photography in Appalachia has a long and complicated history. Today we're listening back to an episode from 2015 called What Happens When Strangers Come to Appalachia. It's been one of our most popular shows we've ever produced. We start in Kentucky with the story of a violent clash between a filmmaker and a local resident that occurred in 1967. She said, I, the reason it made me mad was because I thought they was taking them pictures to make us look bad in this area. And that's one of the things that that caused him to blow up. This is an excerpt from a film called Stranger with a Camera. It's about how back in 1967, a man in eastern Kentucky killed a photographer. On our show today, we're talking about how people in Appalachia react to photographers who want to document our lives. Sometimes we can get pretty defensive. The documentary filmmaker who made Stranger with a Camera talks about that. Her name is Elizabeth Barrett, and she grew up near where the shooting happened. I grew up in a place inundated with picture takers of the creeks, the hollows, the houses, and the people of Appalachia. I didn't think much about it back then. After all, what did those images have to do with me? What is the difference between how people see their own place and how others represent it? Who does get to tell the community's story? And what are the storyteller's responsibilities? Barrett recounts how, during the War on Poverty, lots of photographers and news people came to this region. People who lived here wound up being subjects of stories about how desperately poor parts of Appalachia were. A number of photographers and filmmakers were sent to Appalachia to specifically document the poverty of the region. Let's listen to one of these pieces. This one is from a CBS special documentary by Charles Kuralt, produced with the help of the Office of Economic Opportunity in 1965. This is the road, if you can call it that, that leads to the Pert Creek School in Letcher County, Kentucky. There are tens of thousands of roads like this, winding back along the creeks and hollows of 11 states. 
And beside these roads, the shacks of tar paper and pine, which are the homes of a million permanently poor. Some people in Appalachia have gotten pretty tired of this kind of portrayal. In today's show, we're going to talk about some of the questions Elizabeth Barrett raises in her film. Who gets to take our pictures? Who gets to tell our story? What's the right way to photograph a community? We'll hear from some Appalachian photographers, writers, and social media experts, and we'll talk with the person who has been on the other side of the camera. Two events back in 2015 inspired us to devote an entire show to these topics. A photo essay in Vice magazine showed some startling images of Appalachians. We're going to explore that piece more in just a bit, but first, tense words were exchanged when two photographers visited McDowell County in southern West Virginia. Photographer Marisha Camp and her brother, Jesse, were driving through the area taking pictures. They stopped at a gas station and walked across the street. They came back to find their vehicle was blocked in by a van. The siblings were confronted by angry residents who believed they were taking photos of their children. No one was injured, but Marisha Camp recorded the tense encounter and shared it with photographer Roger May. Let's listen to the recording of that tense interaction between the photographers and the locals. I want to warn you, this next clip contains language that some listeners might find offensive. No pictures of any children on it. No, and you can check it. Not of your kids. I can show you, like, Jesus Christ, we didn't stop and, like, approach, like... Yeah, you guys are making us out to be like. You guys are really making us out to be people that we're not, and Wait, like. Don't look in the mirror. Bring your bodies up like here. Why are you taking pictures of kids for? We are not. We're on vacation. Dude, we take no pictures of houses. You don't need to take pictures of even a goddamn rock. Put your camera. God damn it, we're on vacation. Put your camera away. I don't give a damn where you're from. We were listening to a recorded confrontation that took place in McDowell County in March 2015. Marisha Camp and her brother Jesse said they were traveling through the area and didn't intend to take photos of children without their parents' permission. The police were called to break up the argument. What can explain a group of people reacting so negatively to a stranger taking a few pictures? To get a bit of an insider's perspective from someone who's born and raised in McDowell County, where the incident took place, we decided to talk with Sabrina Schrader. You might remember Sabrina, who's been on Inside Appalachia in the past. She grew up poor in a home filled with domestic violence. Sabrina first shared her story on public radio back in September 2013, but before that she spoke on behalf of Child Law Services. The organization represented her and asked her to speak at an event as a success story. The local TV station was there, and Sabrina wound up in a story. She knows what it's like to be embarrassed by the images of herself selected by the media. I was on put on the news, and they had me crying. And they had said some things that I didn't tell them on the uh, news episode. And I felt completely humiliated, and uh, it was my first time speaking in public uh, in the news. And I'd been taught not to do that. I was told that they would make me look bad, never tell anyone that you're poor, they'll make fun of you. And uh, I understood why I was taught not to do that. However, after that aired, I vowed that I would never speak to the news again. And not even a week later, I got a phone call that a couple teenagers who came from similar situations as I have been, uh, I'm the first person in my family to graduate high school. They, They hadn't had anyone in their family graduate high school or go to college. And they 
said they didn't know they could go, and because they knew that I went, they were going to go. So I said, well, uh, if anybody else asks me to speak, I'm, I guess I'll be the poster child for poverty. And that's basically what's happened. Sabrina remembers hearing about the clash between photographers and locals in McDowell County that happened back in 2015. And when we spoke with her months later, here was her response. I really thought it was shameful. Um, They did not have a relationship with anybody in the community. and No one knew who they were. And, you know, (laughs) we don't have kids yet. But if anybody even takes a picture of my dog without my permission, um... I'm going to be upset because it's my dog and or, or my home. They, 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 I don't care if they're allowed to take pictures on public property. You know, uh, people are not public property. Well, and why do you have such strong feelings about this? Where do you think this comes from? Uh, being criticized uh, throughout my whole life in uh, pictures or um, at school or at work, constant criticism um, of how I'm supposed to look, how I'm supposed to talk, uh, what's right, what's wrong, do it this way, do it that way. Um, that, that's, that's partly what it stems from. And then um, being someone who grew up living in generational poverty uh, in my family and the whole McDowell County, I just don't think it's ethically uh, right or moral to go take pictures of people without their permission, especially children. A lot of people say that this is, you know, obviously the parents in McDowell County felt strongly about it, had similar feelings like you. Um, There have been other incidents, uh, one in Kentucky, as a matter of fact, where uh, an individual a photographer was actually killed by uh, a Kentucky resident because they were taking pictures of their property. Um, So obviously there's some really strong emotions. Again, where do you think these feelings come from of distrust from photographers and taking these pictures and these images? How have Appalachians been portrayed in the media? The feelings come from uh, being oppressed. Uh, In the media, they're portrayed as and labeled as at-risk, uneducated, resistant to learning. I mean, they they think we're all dumb and that we don't want better, that we're lazy. Um, You know, I I feel sorry for the photographer and, and, you know, that that was killed. I, I don't think that's right. I don't think we should be a bunch of vigilantes. However... If you're put in that situation, what are you going to do? Are you going to do something? Or are you going to call a police officer who may be two, three, four, five hours away and wait on them to come and help you? No, uh, if you're, if you're wanting to protect your children and protect your property and what you have, then, uh, you're going to call your neighbors and say, hey, something, something doesn't look right out here and let's go see what's going on. And what would you say to the critics out there that said that that the way that the citizens in McDowell County acted was embarrassing and, and they were embarrassed of the people that acted that way? I think that uh, you're not understanding where these people are coming from, that you're not putting yourself in their situation. And apparently you must not understand uh, what it means to be oppressed Uh, what it means to have to work for something that is never yours, to live in coal camp houses that are not yours, and to have to pay for them, and to have to pay for things that 
uh, coal mine owners owned. They, they own our mountains, they own our land, and they own our people. We have been slaves to rich people, to rich men in Appalachia. We've been slaves to what they want because we want to provide for our families. When I see pictures of uh, people going to church being um, portrayed in a negative manner or um, pictures of children who are overweight being taken pictures of those, it just makes me so sad because uh, these kids are getting judged and so are their families when people are living in poverty-stricken areas have what you call food deserts and they have to eat whatever there is there and whatever is the cheapest and healthiest food is not the cheapest. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit. Um, there Recently there was an article in Vice called Two Days in Appalachia and there were children pictured in that and there were um, senior citizens, it seemed, and elderly individuals photographed, and there was some pretty strong reaction from a lot of people within the Appalachian community and in the media to those pictures. Um, what was your reaction to those pictures? I was upset by them, and I was offended um, some of the comments that were said to me were, oh, we see people like this all over the world or all over the country. And it's like, well, um, even if you do, why is it that the low-income Appalachians are the ones that they take pictures of and say, this is two days in Appalachia? That's not what two days in Appalachia looks like or feels like to me. Um, I do go to church and... Uh, I myself am overweight right now, and if I had pictures of me taken as a child uh, of where I was overweight, I mean, that could potentially uh, cause uh, children. I would have wanted to kill myself. I mean, I was bullied and everything else, uh, but if somebody would have taken pictures of me and put them in the news, I mean, what is going to happen to these children that they took pictures of? Is there anything else that you want to add about images in Appalachia? Um, being a person that is familiar and has lived through um, generational poverty. When uh, a reporter or news person, this is advice I have to give to you all. When you decide that you want to do a story or a news article or whatever art form you want to call it in the media about people who are either low income or living in poverty or have in Appalachia, um, you should develop a compassionate relationship with the people that you're going to do stories on. And you should make sure that what you're going to say agrees with their perspective and not just what you think it is, because you may, um, be misinformed or misrepresent these people and misrepresenting these people it really hurts it hurts like I'm still hurt over all this and I'm never going to forget it so I guess that's why everyone told me to never do this I'm grateful and glad that I have because I see it is making a positive difference in many ways Sabrina, I'm really thankful that you come back on Inside Appalachia and West Virginia Public Broadcasting, and we certainly treasure your trust. Thanks for being with us again. Thank you, Jessica. God bless you.
That was Sabrina Schrader, a McDowell County native, talking about why she has such strong reactions when she sees some photos of Appalachians depicted in the national media. When we come back, we're going to talk with Stacy Kranitz, a photographer who just so happens to have worked alongside two of the photographers who've generated a lot of controversy here in Appalachia lately. Stacy will share some of her insights and reactions from a photographer's perspective. You're Inside Appalachia. I'm Jessica Lilly. The skies are taller in Louisiana. The skies are wider in New Mexico. The skies in Texas kind of split the difference. It don't suit me no matter where I go. I ain't got a place. I ain't got a place in this world. I ain't got a place. I ain't got a place in this world, I know. Support for Inside Appalachia is provided by Concord University in Athens, West Virginia. With career-focused liberal arts education in more than 80 degrees and programs to pursue various career options, not just a single job. More at concord.edu. Today on our show, we're talking about images of Appalachia. We heard from Sabrina Schrader, a McDowell County native who's been embarrassed by images of herself that have been in the media. When Sabrina mentioned photos of overweight children and folks going to church, she was talking about a photo essay that has sparked a lot of conversation on social media. It's called Two Days in Appalachia by photographer Bruce Gilden, and it was published in Vice back in 2015. The photos are mostly black and white. They were all shot with a bright, bold flash from the camera in a style that emphasizes things like wrinkles or sores or scabs and gap teeth. The photos show faces in an almost distorted and grotesque way, as if they're being put on display at a carnival freak show. That isn't to say that there isn't beauty in these faces, too. In fact, when I saw some of the photos, I immediately thought, I've seen those hands or those legs. They reminded me of people I know, people I love. After all, beauty is complicated, right? And the photographer, Bruce Gilden, takes photos like these all over the world. He seeks out things like skin defects and abnormal-looking faces wherever he goes on assignment. But the point is, Gildan's photos struck a nerve with Appalachians. Considering our history with outsider photographers, it's not difficult to understand why folks like Sabrina Schrader were offended to see these images. Bruce Gildan did not respond to our request for comment, but here's what he had to say about our region. This is what his written essay that was printed in Vice Magazine in July said. Bruce Gilden's words are read by Drew Ross. Appalachia is beautiful. The mountains and the forests make it so. But the region's topography has a strange effect on those who call its habitable valleys, crevices, and crannies home. Most of the towns exist, to some extent, in isolation. Sure, roads and technology connect them to the outside world, but when you're inside... They can feel like landlocked islands. The result is that God is everywhere. That is to say, you encounter religiosity everywhere, not just because of the population's devotion, but because that devotion has nowhere to go. It's born into the world, only to bounce off the mountains and echo right back to Main Street. The pot has nowhere to overflow, so every person in Appalachia has a relationship with God intentionally or otherwise. You could say the same thing about these pictures. Bruce's original intent was to take pictures of folks attending church, which he did. 
but he also ended up using a lot of photos that he took at the Polk Salad Festival in Harlan, Kentucky. So what exactly was going on with this photo shoot through Appalachia? For some clarification, we turn to Stacy Kranitz, a photographer who met up with Bruce Gilden on his journey throughout southwestern Virginia and eastern Kentucky. Stacy was born in Frankfort, Kentucky, but until a few years ago hadn't really spent much time in Appalachia. And I was like, wow, this, this is Appalachia. I've heard all kinds of things about Appalachia, and I want to go and kind of build a relationship with this place. I want to understand what it is. And Bruce Gilden isn't the only photographer Stacy has connections to. She's met and worked alongside Marisha Camp, too. Remember, Camp's one of the photographers who ran into trouble in McDowell County? Stacy says that Camp and Gilden both typically spend only a few minutes photographing every person they shoot. Still, she stresses that she doesn't believe this is necessarily wrong. But it's definitely not her style. Stacy says she prefers a very different approach, and as she told our producer Roxy Todd, she likes to form long-term friendships with the people she documents. Stacy Cranitz says that two days in Appalachia was not her idea of an ideal photo shoot. In some cases, I think Bruce's photography works to show us people that we ignore, but in some cases, I think that that's not how that person would see themselves at all. I don't think some people that he photographs do fairly see themselves as being underdogs or ignored. We, we can't say because he's not asking them in some sort of recorded manner that then answers that question. So it's kind of in disbelief. But I think to understand that what it's, well, I mean, I guess I say that it's more about Bruce's neuroses than it is about the story of these individual people living in any particular region and struggling in any particular way. By neuroses, Stacy Kranitz is referring to a sort of obsessive, intense thing she noticed about Bruce Gilden's personality, especially when he photographed people. She said he seemed constantly to be in pursuit of people who seemed to be down on their luck. He calls them the underdogs of society. So just as an example, Stacy says she met up with Bruce in Abington, Virginia, where the photo assignment started. She describes him as nice but grumpy. From there, they traveled to a small church in Jonesville, Virginia. Stacy says Bruce Gilden pulled her aside and explained that the people at the church didn't look odd enough for his aesthetic taste. He was really nice. Again, he was nice at the church and he was nice to everybody. It wasn't that he was treating anyone badly. But with me, he was complaining about how the people looked too plain. And what do you think he meant by plain? Yeah, I mean, I don't actually think that he meant plain as like a negative thing. I I think he was looking for um, what is very evident in his photographs, unusual faces, um, kind of like weird skin stuff he really likes, lots of wrinkles, just like oddities. After the first church, Bruce and Stacy traveled on to the Polk Salad Festival. And there, Bruce said he wanted to continue shooting instead of continue on to the next church. Another thing I should point out, Stacy says that initially it was supposed to have been a five-day photo shoot, but budget and travel constraints imposed an even tighter deadline on their project. And that was like a little bit disappointing because I always feel like that's the big problem of mass media, um, is that it ends up being a two- or three-day shoot versus uh, the five days or whatever that I think gives you that like extra chance to really get a feel for a region. But... Um, if you really think about it, five days is nothing, and I don't know that it achieves much more. So while the Vice assignment was supposed to have been a collaborative photo project to document people at small churches, 
things did not go as planned. In what seemed like a scene from a comedy B-movie, these two art photographers fought about the photo assignment and whose way was right, etc. Stacy says it turned into a yelling match in the middle of the Poke Salad Festival. Eventually, the two of them split up and did separate photo shoots. But Stacy insists that even though she clashed with Bruce Gilden over some things, she still doesn't think his art should be dismissed or that he did anything wrong in Appalachia. She just feels that Bruce makes a different type of art than the kind that she likes to make. Having spent a lot of time researching and traveling through Appalachia the last few years, Stacy says she understands that people in Appalachia are sensitive to outside photographers coming to the area and bringing with them stereotypes and judgments. And I ask people who were born and raised in Appalachia if they don't do that to other places, right? We have romantic ideals and notions that have nothing to do with reality of, um, I would like to say a lot of people have that of a place like Southern California because it's been depicted in movies so many times, but that's a fantasy version of Southern California. Um, And so the idea that we're not all privy to or capable of like romanticizing the other, no matter what that other is, is a false notion that I think we really got to get rid of. Um, It's not very self-reflexive. It's kind of um, this us and them rhetoric, I think, is is just such a waste of everyone's time. Was that negative? Try not to be too negative. No, but that said, I mean, the the (laughs) thing that's different with Southern California being depicted, Appalachia is still one of the areas in the country where it is still accepted to degrade it. I would never deny that. But I also think there are a lot of other places um, that are treated that way. Um, And it's our own failure. And again, my failure, your failure, everyone's failure. I'm not trying to say it's a particular group of people's failures. It's everyone's failure to think that the photograph has the power to essentialize a group of people. And when I went back and looked at his photo essay, Two Days in Appalachia, I noticed this reoccurring intrigue in everyone's eyes. And it kind of reminded me of some of the things that you said, that even the children, it was more like they were just fascinated by his bizarreness and reflecting this their own bizarreness back. But I think it's because they're reacting to somebody that's um, so startling to them. And- yeah, I think that's such a valuable point, is that it's actually like the engagement that both Marisha and Bruce are kind of putting in is like 10, 15, 20 minutes. And both Bruce and Marisha are characters. They're really wild people. So I think once you start to open that up and look at them that way, they become a lot less harmful, these images. Stacey doesn't regret having accepted the photo assignment to work alongside Bruce Gilden, even though things did not go as she would have liked. She says it does hurt her how many people have come out against the photos on social media and have attacked her personally time and again because she's an outside photographer. She stresses that she tries to understand communities before she documents them. She tries to make friends and stay in contact with the people she photographs. Yeah, I think that's the purest way to go about it. But but by pure, I mean just say like the most natural way, which is to find people because, again, I don't want to force myself into people's lives who are uncomfortable, who find my humor odd. So it's it's kind of just, yeah, finding people that I feel like uh, get me on some level in some way or like people who are really curious about me. And all this has led Stacey to a new project with Vice magazine. 
For the past few months, she's been working on a six-part photo essay for the magazine about the changing economy here in Appalachia. She stressed to Vice that she wants to work with native West Virginians this time to collaborate with her in this in-depth series, which is set to be released later this fall. That was our producer, Roxy Todd, talking with documentary photographer Stacy Crannance back in 2015. When we come back, we're going to hear other reactions to Vice's photo essay, and we'll learn about several projects that help local people take their own photos and tell their own stories. I'm Jessica Lilly. You're Inside Appalachia. In the first part of our show, we heard from people talking about photographers who come to Appalachia from other places and what it means to a community when a photographer comes into a community, spends a short time taking photos, and immediately leaves. Some people call it cultural strip mining, and it's not hard to see why. People can feel used whenever their story is collected and then distorted to fit an artist's means. Roxy Todd also talked with two West Virginia artists who are plugged into the media and to this discussion about who gets to tell Appalachia's story. Catherine Moore is a multimedia artist and a native of West Virginia. First, I wanted to know why she thought people were reacting so strongly to these photos by Bruce Gilden. Gilden's piece is called Two Days in Appalachia, which partly, you know, he he's acknowledging that he was only here for a short time. Um, but it also is kind of making this claim to be representing the place. Um, he was photographing rural folks exclusively um, at, I believe, the Polk Salad Festival in Kentucky and at evangelical Christian churches. So he was, um, wh while he was doing that, he was highlighting in his images um, what some see as defects or even slightly grotesque features of people, you know, things like deep wrinkles or skin damage, sores, um, extra weight, um, gap teeth, unibrows. And I hear people uh, on the defensive, people who aren't necessarily engaged in um, photography in Appalachia, but just regular people saying, hey, wait a minute, that's not Appalachia. That's not what me and my family and my friends look like. And, you know, why would you even come here and take photos of quote unquote ugly people? That doesn't make sense. Um, so in other words, I hear people saying we are more quote unquote normal looking than that. We are not so odd. We are not the hillbilly stereotype um, that we see you portraying us as we are average middle-class people like the rest of America. So don't portray us as freaks. 
Catherine Moore and I were joined in this conversation by Crystal Good. She's a native of West Virginia, too, and is a part of a collective group of African-American poets in Appalachia. They call their movement Afrolachian. I asked Crystal for her initial response to Bruce Gilden's photo essay, Two Days in Appalachia. When I posted the Vice thing, uh, the link, you know, I, I used the, the quote, you know, ain't I Appalachian too, right? You know, from Sojourner Truth, you know, ain't I woman too, right? Like, because when I look at these, that essay and many, many others, I don't see my life represented there or anything that represents my family. And I've got hip hop boys in Appalachia. You know, my sons are, you know, producers. And man, there's some amazing photography yet to be discovered and found in what's happening um, in, in music scenes and, you know, things in, in Appalachia. It's not just this one thing happening. And that's why I think that the diversity of the photographs, you know, just like, yes, we have middle class folks. Yes, you know, I mean, in terms of, you know, extreme wealth, you know, would somebody please go up and get a, a photo of Don Blankenship's mansion, you know, like looking down on, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's different, there's different, th- there's, we have a diversity here. We have extreme poverty, but I guarantee we have extreme wealth. I think that that's all true. I think you have to really look at like, what is the work trying to talk about? And what is it trying to do? He calls it two days in Appalachia. You know, it's not trying to represent the whole of the region. I mean, the problem, of course, is when it gets taken up in the mass media. And as you said, Crystal, you know, people look at it who uh, who have no familiarity with the region and they're just going to sort of see it as like um, a place mark for the whole entire region. Like that's a problem. As artists in Appalachia, in West Virginia, is it difficult to make art and have people interact with it? You know, as artists, have you had this feeling that you your art has you've wanted to censor your art or other people have wanted to censor the art? You know, I can say that I I think it can feel, and this is my perspective, I think it can feel isolating to be a contemporary artist here. I, I almost feel like it's to the point where if it's not in the tradition of social practice art or representational art or advocacy work, that we can't get behind it or think that it's somehow trying to victimize us in some way. I think that when we reject art that doesn't fall into those categories, um, there's a, a whiff of paternalism to it, you know, that that Appalachians have to be sort of protected from something that's outside of us and therefore more sophisticated. And I think that feels, you know, like something we can work on. No, I agree. I mean, the, the, the work that I'm most attracted to and the work that, you know, uh, is is work that creates a change in thinking. I call it, you know, poetry upside down or thinking upside down. So it's, you know, um, really, really challenging people to think in different ways because that's what's going to trigger creativity. And that creativity ripples out beyond the art and into, you know, ways that people problem solve. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if there was more work being made, Crystal, I feel like it would be it would take some of the pressure off of these um these pieces that we're talking about that, you know, that sort of are are so triggering. Like if there was more diversity and more work being made, like there would be less pressure around them. You know, I think we can have fun um, sharing our Appalachia with each other through social media. We're not limited by just what's shown in a, you know, in a museum or what comes to us in a magazine or something. I mean, we we have all the tools to kind of share and start to tell our own stories, um, which is kind of awesome. 
That was West Virginia poet Crystal Good talking with multimedia storyteller Catherine Moore and our producer, Roxy Todd. Crystal talked about empowering people in this region to tell their own stories, and there are some creative projects doing just that. Appalachian people documenting Appalachia. We'll hear about those projects in just a moment. But what would you like to show the world about Appalachia? We've already had some listeners like you send us photos via Twitter. We've gotten a photo from a sunny spot by the river where one listener likes to fish. We were treated to a view of the sun setting behind the Allegheny Mountains from a family farm in Greenbrier County. And we got a picture of a football field packed with fans for rival teams in Virginia before consolidation. Head over to our website to see some of them, wvpublic.org. So what's your view of Appalachia? Tweet your photo at inAppalachia, hashtag myAppalachia. Because, well, frankly, my Appalachia is different from yours and probably your idea of Appalachia. And that's all right. Yes, me where I'm coming from, I'm not sure I can say. Yes, me where I'm headed, I'll just grin. Don't ask too many questions, I'll be coming back to stay. You know, not to ask me where I've been. So, on our show today, we've been hearing from people with different backgrounds, fears, and dreams. We've heard from people who want to protect local Appalachians from being manipulated by the media, people who worry what the rest of the nation thinks of Appalachia. But we've also heard from people who'd like to see the conversation move away from the outsiders versus insiders. We've heard from creative people who want to diversify and expand the way we all share and tell Appalachia's story and say the situation is much more complicated than a wrong or right way to photograph people. For the final part of our show, we're going to take a look at photo projects that curate wide-ranging views of Appalachia and of ordinary Appalachians living extraordinary lives. First, we talk in with Roger May, a photographer who's originally from Mingo County, West Virginia. At the time when we spoke with him for this show, he was living in North Carolina, though he since moved back to West Virginia. He'd also just launched his online photo project called Looking at Appalachia, which strives to open up more diversity in the ways Appalachians are viewed and how Appalachians see themselves. And so, you know, with the Looking at Appalachia project, one of the things that we've tried to do is serve as a... um, repository for folks to sort of go and see, you know, images that maybe aren't as sexy or flashy or, you know, clickbaity like uh, like Vice would show and just, you know, show uh, whatever real Appalachia is, you know, if that's even a fair thing to say. But uh, but but to have this sort of crowdsource project that is that is open to people who are professional photographers and non-alike and uh, really invite them uh, in, in, a, in a welcoming sense to send in work from their corners of Appalachia so that we can really see the, the diversity and the breadth and the depth of a, of a place that tends to, to get pigeonholed as being pretty homogenous and pretty um, rural and, and white and country and, and that sort of thing. And, and it certainly is to an extent, but there's so much more to Appalachia than, than just those, uh, those basic descriptors. Roger May decided to launch the Looking at Appalachia project in 2014 in time for the 50th anniversary of the War on Poverty. Since then, his project has collected more than 700 photographs from across Appalachia.
You know, it's by by no means uh, perfect. There, there's never been a perfect photograph, and there's never been a perfect project, and 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 we're all imperfect people. But you know, collectively, we work together to try to to put as much good into the world about Appalachia through. Uh, photographs and through visual representation that um, you know we we all are are I think incredibly proud to uh, to see it take off and 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 have the success that that it has. That was Roger May, who's been curating a project called Looking at Appalachia. The project takes submissions from photographers, professional and amateurs alike. You can see their work at lookingatappalachia.org. Bruce Gilden's essay, Two Days in Appalachia, explored photos of people in Harlan County, Kentucky. In that community is another photographer who's from Harlan. Malcolm Wilson curates a fascinating project called The Humans of Central Appalachia. It was inspired by the Humans of New York Facebook page. Humans of Central Appalachia is a Facebook page where folks can scroll and find black and white photos of Appalachians and their stories told in their own words. The pictures are taken by Malcolm. Malcolm does the project in his free time. He travels to places where he can interview several folks at one time, like at festivals or weddings. I had the chance to talk with him and find out more about the project. Everybody's story is important. We don't single out. We don't try to find this kind of person or that kind of person. We've had people on the page from 8 years old to 80 years old. And when we first started out, we were using some small quotes like humans in New York, and people weren't responding. And somehow we struck a chord. We started interviewing these people and looking at the whole story and said, this is important. This whole story is important. So we published this whole story. We interviewed people anywhere from 8 to 20 minutes. Um, I think we had one interview that went 30 minutes. And we basically uh, put that story up verbatim as they told it in first person, their own words. And we accompanied that with one or more photographs. Usually it's one photograph. But on occasion, we will post two or three photographs with that story. And the thing has taken off like a rocket ship. Everybody can find something to identify with. People people read, you know, contrary to uh, the beliefs that this world is all about sound bites now, this page proves different. These stories are getting read, and not just by Appalachians, but people outside the region. Like I said, we've, uh, you know, we know that we're in 45 countries, because that's all that Facebook will show us in six continents, and the bulk, uh, I mean, we, we have people from Columbus to D.C. to Atlanta, Georgia, um, liking the page, and 22 languages uh, are spoken by people that follow the page. What made you decide to start this page, Humans of Appalachia? What's your goal with Well, I've always been a documentary photographer doing documentary uh, portraiture types of work in Appalachia all my life. I'm originally from Harlan County, Kentucky, and you can't get any deeper in Appalachia than that. And um, I've taken portraits of people for years and years and years, and I've heard their stories, but they're sort of just recorded in my brain. Um, and I decided that 
after, you know, looking at Humans of New York for a couple years and having a friend that sort of tried to start a similar project that uh, didn't work out, um, I decided that uh, it was time to, to uh, start telling the, what I consider to be the true story of Appalachian Appalachians, and that's the stories that they tell themselves. Now, you say the true story of Appalachians. Do you think there's stories out there that aren't necessarily accurate about us Appalachians? Uh, yes, I, I believe that's been going on for years and years and years. And, you know, it may have even started on, in the war, uh, the war on poverty. It may have started before that. Um, but yes, I, you know, I think there are a lot of in- inaccuracies floating around. I think that you can go to any city or any community anywhere in the United States and find people of all social classes and, um, uh, all forms of education, and for some reason we've just got uh, um, the brunt of that. It seems like we're the ones that everybody wants to pick on. And your page, Humans of Central Appalachia, I read in an article that you started it um, after helping out another friend with another page. Your friend decided not to talk politics, religion, or or coal, or, or anything controversial like that. Why did you feel it was important to leave those types of issues um, and allow them on your page? She just wanted to show this fluffy side of Appalachia using little quirky quotes like Humans of New York does. And I'm all about Humans of New York. I think it's great. But the story is deeper in Appalachia. We we walk at a slower pace. We think uh, we live at a slower pace, and uh, we're storytellers. Uh, and there are a lot; those issues are very important to the culture right now. I mean, coal is dying. It's not going to come back, at least in my opinion. Uh, it's you know, it's like the beta tape or the VHS tape. It's 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 day is done, and the economy's suffering. Um, Religion is a big part of the culture, and politics is part of any culture. Uh, and, you know, what's being done to help us as we try to change our economic standing from coal to, you know, some other some other form of economy? What can we do? So politics take, plays a big part in that. There are a lot of other things that, that play a part in the, in the culture, too, but religion, coal, and politics, and in the heart of Appalachia, are very important. Malcolm Wilson and his wife run the Facebook page Humans of Central Appalachia out of their home in Bristol, Tennessee. He's originally from Harlan County, Kentucky, and we're glad to have him on Inside Appalachia. Malcolm, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. On the page, you can read these stories, but for the first time, we get to listen to a few of the voices that Malcolm has collected for his Humans of Central Appalachia project. First, here's Mark Eisen, age 22, who lives in Ermine, Kentucky. He's pictured wearing a T-shirt that says Army. On his shoulders, he's holding a skateboard, and he has a kind of sadness in his eyes. Well, growing up in this type of country... <laughs> sorry. But um, pretty much you got three types of people. You got the ones who think they're city, but pretty much spent their whole life around here then you got the ones that are country is crap and then you got just normal people uh i used to hunt but no more fishing i never really got into 
like I said, pretty much all I do is skate. Well, as a child, growing up in the mountains is exciting and all that because you got new things to go through, mountains, streams, all this, you know, exploring. But once you get a little bit older, growing up in the mountains kind of get boring because you kind of done it all. Like, okay, in eastern Kentucky, mm -hmm. pretty much unless you work at a uh, restaurant or Walmart or something in that area, there's no longer any jobs left, and it's hard to even get on them. This thing, this place ain't special. Yeah, yeah probably to like the old people who saw it in its prime. Yeah. But to the new generation, this place ain't nothing. Now for the final voice of our show, let's listen to another one of the many people Malcolm Wilson talked to for his project. Her name is Haley Mullins. She's eight years old and attends Clintwood Elementary School in Clintwood, Virginia. She's wearing a sleeveless polka-dotted shirt and a beautiful smile that pushes up her chubby cheeks into her dark-framed glasses. Testing one, two, three. My name's Haley. Mullins. I am eight. Yeah, I think it's pretty beautiful. You can't get tornadoes. <laughs> There's not a lot of bad weather, I don't think. Inside, I like to read books. And then outside, I like to exercise. I like to read chapter books about all sorts of things. Exercising, I don't ride a bike. I jog, run, and walk. Because I think that um, it's better than riding a bike, and you can get more exercise. That was Haley Mullins, one of the voices that was recorded by Malcolm Wilson for the Humans of Central Appalachia Facebook page. Malcolm gathers stories in three ways. He collects individual interviews from Appalachians who live in or around his home in Bristol, Tennessee. Malcolm and his wife will also travel, but only to collect multiple interviews in order to keep things affordable. He also encourages folks to post their own stories to the Humans of Central Appalachia page. Again, that's at Humans of Central Appalachia on Facebook. You'll find more information about all of these projects we've talked about on today's show at wvpublic.org. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this encore edition of Inside Appalachia. We love to keep the conversation going. Send us your view of Appalachia. Our Twitter handle is at inappalachia. Our email address is insideappalachia at wvpublic.org. Till next time, thanks for joining me as we journey throughout Appalachia. We had help producing Inside Appalachia this week from Apple Shop and Humans of Central Appalachia. Music in today's show was provided by Jake Sheps, Hooray for the Riff Raff with Blue Ridge Mountain, and James McMurtry with Ain't Got a Place as heard on Mountain Stage. Our producer is Roxy Todd. Andrea Billups is our executive producer. Eric Douglas is our associate producer. Patrick Stevens is our audio mixer. Xander Alloy and Catherine Winter also helped produce this episode. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at feedback at wbpublic.org. Find us on Twitter at in Appalachia or at Jessica Y. Lilly. You can address your letters to Inside Appalachia in care of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, 600 Capitol Street, Charleston, West Virginia, 25301. The Inside Appalachia podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at wvpublic.org. I'm Jessica Lilly. Inside Appalachia is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting.
overflowing fountain Oh, my heart is a Blue Ridge Mountain But I never, never knew, I never knew, never knew Never, never knew, never knew Well, I woke up this morning And I saw a new day dawning Oh, I woke up this morning Support for Inside Appalachia is provided by Concord University in Athens, West Virginia. With career-focused liberal arts education in more than 80 degrees and programs to pursue various career options, not just a single job. More at concord.edu.